Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. You know, my history in cannabis professionally, I think, you know, actually started in um, 2013, where I was living in Asheville at the time. And my uh, former co-founder and I had just exited a a previous business in the uh, copyright space. And we were always really large consumers in the cannabis space and had a personal interest, but we were looking to Colorado. And um, we thought after a, a trip out to Denver to go snowboard and such that there was some potential opportunity. And I stumbled across uh, a, an investment group called Arcview, which at the time was like the only show in town. And I put together a pitch deck and pitched um, from my basement in Asheville some some early day uh, Arcview folks um, on an idea called Cannabuild. And we were effectively going to be this excuse me, back-end operations platform for dispensary operators. And on that call was a gentleman named uh, Ian Sieb, who at the time was a, you know, a longtime operator in Colorado. Today, he is the, um, I don't know his exact title, but he is the cannabis policy czar for uh, Jared Polis in the the state of Colorado. And um, I I met him on that call by chance. We took a liking to each other and um, I was able to secure some funding from the network and actually packed up and moved to Denver about a month later. And uh, Ian and uh, his partner, Kayvon, and a couple of other folks were like really the, uh, our initial, you know, ushers into the industry. And we were able to use their uh, Denver relief dispensary to really build our uh, initial product. So I'm forever grateful to, to that camp who uh, really brought us into the industry and, and showed us what uh, you know, call it the the OG industry and Gen 1 uh, adult use looked like and, and gave us a, a front row seat. So um, that that was really my path into the industry and um, over 2013 and 2014. So you were, was that Waxy then or was that an, another company? Yeah, that's the same company. Cannabuild was just our DBA. The product we ended up building was, was Waxy. And yep. um, yeah, over you know a couple years, we were kind of um, we were first a party in the uh, cannabis ecom space before um, Jane or um, Dutchie had even arrived at that point, and we were honestly too early. We were far too early and, and didn't raise enough capital. But at the time, we were working with the premier dispensaries in the country, doing some really cool stuff. I, I remember for two years we powered uh, Harborside's ordering and got up to, I think when we um, got acquired by Mass Roots in 2017, about um, 200 different customers on the platform. So we were doing some cool stuff, but ultimately um, with my trajectory at Cresco and just being underfunded um, at the time, we, we decided to go through that acquisition with Mass Roots at the time. And um, that's how I effectively uh, transferred from uh, that project to Cresco. And, um, you know, the connection there was Ian and Kayvon again. Uh, Ian and Kayvon had a, uh, <clears throat> a, uh, a consulting business called Denver Relief Consulting that was tied to their dispensary. And they were the folks that um, the initial Cresco Labs founders hired to uh, write the applications for the initial Illinois licenses. 
So early in that process, I, uh, I met the Cresco uh, founders, Charlie and Joe and uh, Rob and Dom. And uh, we, we really took a liking to each other. And um, that formed into myself and another gentleman. And we, we argue about it to this day, becoming, you know, the first and second employees of Cresco. So um, at that time, um, we were much different than what we are today, but that was uh, vis-a-vis my relationship with Ian and Kayvon, who, um, you know, to this day, you know, remain um, highly involved in, in multiple cannabis projects. Yeah, so let's take it back a, a bit. Um, so you mentioned being too early with e-commerce in the space. Let's dive into that a bit more. Is it just it was so much easier for people to go into stores? It was more you know, folks who kind of knew what they wanted. So they liked the in-store experience or can you tell us more about what you mean by being too early back then? Sure. The, um, the technical infrastructure for a, you know, third party project or product, excuse me, to exist on top of a point of sale was a very risky proposition. At that point in time, I think MJ Freeway likely had, you know, 90% market share and, and had an API um, that was, uh, you know, uh, underdeveloped at the time, right? This was 2014. APIs in the space aren't nearly what they were today, and so it was a a a scary proposition to only build an integration business on the on the uh, on the back of that you know one integrator. So it was very difficult in that regard to actually build a digital product at scale. And then, um, as you said, shopping habits at the time were a little were a little bit more uh, focused on actually you know, brick and mortar trips. And, and at that time, I think the, the marketplace dominance as well was, was a lot more prevalent than what it is today. Um, I can recall at that point in time where, you know, uh, operators were hundred uh, percent reliant on Leafly and Weed Maps listings. And, um, you know, that, that made it very difficult for us to gain market share or gain traction. Um, but ultimately I, th- I think, the uh, the timing for Jane and Dutchy, where they could um, you know stick their tentacles into more point of sales with wider distribution and more um, evolved techs, allow them to just build far superior products than you know what we were working on at the time. Yeah, and, and at any point when you were at Cresco Labs, did you ever think, hey, maybe I should go and do this because now the timing? And let's say I think both of them started around 2017, 2018 hey, we should probably go do this now. Uh, did you ever think about that with your co-founder? Yeah, I think f- for us, it kind of morphed into us really looking at cannabis as the opportunity and not necessarily just building a, that specific product. And Fresco had such a uh, interesting opportunity attached to it where the founders were folks that I had never met in cannabis before. You know, these guys had a real palpable interest in uh, incredible business track record and the capital to to actually capitalize on, on the things and lofty goals that they were saying. So it was, it was, it was really interesting. So ultimately, um, what we thought the opportunity may be was to take what we've learned already and maybe some of the, the same team members even and, and kind of build that for a, an operator and, and have that be you know, ultimately our in-house tech that we could evolve over years and use it to our competitive advantage because of, you know, what ultimately was a lack of options in the marketplace to, to help us do something beyond what was required by compliance. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And even your entry into cannabis, where you worked very closely with an operator in Colorado to start, uh, it seems like you gravitate more towards having sort of that, you know, vertical understanding of, you know, hey, we we operate uh, the physical product, and then we also provide technology. So it seems like that that makes a lot of sense, the path you chose. Yeah, I think the the industry itself and the nuance between all the different markets because of regulatory differences and then just some structural differences drive a, a real desire for us to be as close to the process as possible. And that's where we can hone a product to be hyper-specific to whatever that may be. I, I think uh, Flow Hub actually out in Denver did a good job at this. Kyle historically was in the industry. I think he was a uh, a, a multiple frontline positions for over a year before he started Flow Hub to really understand what would be the product that served the needs the best, right? So I think for us, that's been a real competitive advantage in, in, in all of the products we're building to make sure the, the actual ROI there is something that exceeds what you could otherwise get off the shelf, which is a, is a really important barometer for us. Yeah, so let's get into that. So let's talk about Cresco Labs and, and the technology that you've built. So let's uh, give us an overview. Tell us how big the team is, how long certain things may have taken to develop. And then after, maybe touch upon some third-party technology that you still use because you chose to use that versus building in-house. Sure. Yeah, I think um, today we are a team of, I want to say, about 25 total engineers. And that spans across application engineers, as well as our uh, ETL and data engineers and, and some BI folks as well. So we, we, we have responsibility within the business for the complete technology infrastructure. And so what that means is ultimately there is a product element and then there's a more traditional corporate IT element. So I'll focus on the product element and what, what that ultimately powers for us is actually our retail business and our wholesale business. So I'll, I'll focus on retail first and then um, explain wholesale, which is, I think, uh, a little bit new to, to your understanding, Dick. Um, so Sunnyside is our retail brand. We have, I think today, 65 locations, if I'm not mistaken, across six or seven states. And uh, uh, Sunnyside.shop is the primary consumer interface for all of our customers. And we do an overwhelming majority of our business um, online in some respect. And that is powered by a completely custom stack that we've built internally over the past uh, four years. And so uh, what where our responsibility starts and stops is effectively um, at the cash register. So what we try to do is facilitate Every, every movement, every, every, every data collection point um, and every product interaction all the way up to the point of sale. And so what that means is we've, we've effectively created um, an ERP that we are um, modeling after very traditional ERP approaches that starts with the procurement cycle on the retail side and when we procure inventory all the way to when we actually sell that inventory to end customers and do so through uh, a high-performant e-com interface that we believe has the catalog and UX capabilities 
to outpace some of our competitors who often use um, off-shelf options, um, all of which you know are always getting better, but don't allow for the specificity that um, we have found uh, drives value beyond what they're offering us. So on the retail side, we really control the employee experience all the way, all the way through, uh, you know, call it arrival at the store to uh, purchase, as well as the consumer experience from when they're shopping on our website, all the way to when they uh, check out at store. So we've built this platform that serves both sides, if you will, and is considerate not only of the commercial experience therein, but also the operational procedures, because this was really a day uh, born out of uh, COVID more than anything, where our system is very considerate of the throughput necessary from a measurement and you know a facilitation of, of, of steps through the store to generate outcomes we desire. So it's um, hyper-specific in the steps both to our staff and how you shop as a consumer. So we have found that um, that really drives high, high levels of conversion, high levels of UPT, average baskets that you know are are a little bit better than than technology we can buy, and 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 ultimately drives a net net outcome that we we believe is um, worth the squeeze to take the effort to build this ourselves. And on the wholesale side. This is less developed for us, but um, is is fully, um, you know, active within our business. I think for about three years, and it's, it's a it's a little newer to the party. But ultimately, um, we integrate with a platform called Canex, who we've been uh, very happy with. Where we think the team over there is really talented. Stacy, uh, the founder, um, really sees things through the same lens that we do from an ERP perspective, and. We're using Canex to really be our regulatory interface across the country so we can develop a, a similar relationship with, with our internal portal to facilitate uh, an experience with our dispensary customers that is uh, on par or better with market options as well. We believe some of the uh, wholesale marketplaces um, within our industry um, don't necessarily give us the competitive advantage that we'd like uh, or, or consumer experience to our dispensary customers that we'd like to offer versus doing that ourselves as well. So we're starting to find on both sides of our, our business competitive advantages in, in creating this platform versus uh, off-shelf options. But we're always um, integrating with all of these partners within the industry to either you know, syndicate our inventory, syndicate our, our purchase orders, or bring in other data that helps us with planning and modeling. And so we're very receptive to relationships with these folks and, and play nicely, but we still feel ultimately the, the product that we ship to our customers is, is best orchestrated by us internally. Yeah, so a few questions on that. So as far as you know, Zach, are, are you sort of the only, call it, top five tier one MSO that's, that's doing this, that's built it in-house? I, I think to this level of degree and scale, I, I know um, some of our peers have, have really done some pretty cool stuff with the new Dutchie or Jane uh, APIs that allow them to be headless in their experience. 
and have really focused on um, evolving their e-com platforms on the front end. And I think that has been um, in a response to what we're doing, which is, which is cool to see just the entire industry leveling up. But as, as far as the back end goes, I think um, we, we, we are the most sophisticated right now. And there is a lot of um, engagement with marketplace players. And because, you know, we, we do a lot of business with each other. So we see how and, and what systems each other use. And so ultimately, I think we're all interested in creating, you know, the least friction transactionally between systems. And so um, that's, that's really why, you know, we, we play nice and, and integrate as well. So we can ultimately, um, you know, do business agnostic of system. But I, I do believe we're probably uh, the most advanced in this area. Got it. And, and then going back to, you know, the, the marketplace on the consumer side. So it sounds like you don't really use other places like weed maps for customer acquisition, um, or, or maybe you do it, it's to a small extent. Uh, can you give us an overview of how much of your, let's say, customer traffic comes from just folks going directly to either Cresco Labs or Sunnyside.shop, and how much of that is coming from external places? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't have our, our Google analytics pulled up in front of us, but as, as a rule of thumb, the, the overwhelming majority of our, of our business is on the, on the retail side is, is really um, centered on our e-com experience. And we, we have, um, we have been participatory with um, Leafly with weed maps and retail listings, but they certainly don't drive the, the the commerce value or even the total traffic for us that they that they once have and our 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 challenge with you know not singling those two platforms out in particular just because they're the largest and you know most known some sometimes in our space platforms have a really hard time with attribution which makes it really difficult for us to continue to invest in something with that level of opaqueness from a performance perspective, you really want to understand what's driving that value. And that's where I would say a third-party platform like Jane has been really beneficial for us um, on the wholesale side, where when you uh, use their their uh, platform as a wholesaler or a brand to reach um, retail consumers vis-a-vis retail dispensary menus, that is shown to be a very effective, excuse me, and measurable channel for us and I think many of our peers as well that allows you to continue to reinvest or change strategies just because you know what you didn't know previously. So for us uh, on the retail side, um, the, the platforms as a whole have become you know less of an acquisition channel for us and, and something that we're really focused on over the uh, of the near future is going to be upping our, you know, at traditional SEO game. That's just not something that we've chosen to battle previously. So we really believe we have an opportunity to evolve our e-com experience through some just basic blocking and tackling that will continue to make it uh, an acquisition machine and not just an experience destination. And, and on the wholesale side, we really do a lot of that value generation directly with customers versus having a, a marketplace presence, right? And, and, and ultimately have a, you know, call it a hybrid model that allows us to 
you know, utilize our relationships and our technology at once, because I don't think right now our market's in a place where you can go full e-com and not have, you know, uh, a, a relationship that would drive the value you're looking for with dispensary customers. So ultimately, we believe that's the, the right mix. Um, and, and no single platform is really capable of commanding that outsized um, acquisition value that they, that they once have. And help me understand the wholesale side. So in terms of wholesale marketplaces, uh, let's, let's say LeafLink as an example. Um, so are you, you guys are probably listed on there, but are you trying to direct most of your wholesale customers onto your own custom built platform? Sure. So a good question, like very nuanced, right? The uh, LeafLinks and Leaf Trades of the world, depending upon market, have different penetration rates, as we've noticed, right? One may be amazing in state A and the other is amazing in state B. So depending upon that dynamic, there's always a desire for us to just have our products present, right? Where, where we have optionality to just be present. And more what I'm speaking of, Day, is the actual back-end operations. For most operators who use the Leaf Trades and Leaf Links of the world, that's also their like back-end operations ERP platform as well. For us, it's really a, a sales order uh, you know, generator or acquisition source where our, our dispensary customers, if you happen to already engage on that platform and that's your platform of choice, we make it easy to you know, view our our inventory and access our inventory, but ultimately we facilitate the the back end movement of you know sales orders, invoicing, so on and so forth th through our system, which goes all the way to you know on fleet logistics and full cycle through the entire delivery. Got it. And, and then what about loyalty? Do you guys uh, use that in house or a third party software? Yeah. So I think uh, we probably have a really one of the most interesting integrations that someone has done with Alpine yet, um, and a big kudos to their team for um, changing a lot of stuff within their existing API to accommodate, and we've been able to ship a pretty cool product as a result. So for folks that are familiar with Sunnyside.shop, our, our loyalty program is actually within the e-com experience, and it's, it's powered by Alpine, but is um, unvisible that's invisible in the experience and we don't utilize the traditional Alpine wallet that, that many of our peers do or the spring big wallet, if you will. So we've built that directly into the e-com experience and have built a, a fairly interesting uh, technology layer in between that adds some real flexibility therein. So it allows our customers to um, uh, redeem on a schedule or in an amount that's ultimately up to them. So you could say three points, seven points, nine points, whatever it is, you know, there's, there's very few restrictions that drive that experience. And because it's directly in the e-com experience and it's not fragmented or a disjointed specifically during the checkout experience, we've seen incredible adoption as a result and, and really large penetration through our, our user base as well. So it provides a more, you know, traditional restaurant-esque rewards experience, something like a, you know, a Dunkin' or Starbucks app where your points balance and ability to spend and ability to earn is, is right there within your, your e-com experience versus 
uh, exiting offsite or otherwise. We've, we've generated a lot of value as a result of taking that approach as opposed to the more traditional approach. So um, I, we, we commend the, the Alpine folks a lot. You know, we're on Slack directly with them and, and do a lot of direct engagement and appreciate just they're very technical folks over there and have, have built something special. So it's, it's cool to be able to, you know, play in the sandbox with those type of uh, operators who just really weren't present two, three years ago. So I think our, our talent and, and our space for, for third-party products continues to, to, to get better and evolve. You know, on that point then what's uh, not available today or, or lacking from a technology standpoint that you're hoping someone develops or improves upon. I think the the boring one that I think has a lot of opportunity is something that really helps folks with demand and supply modeling. You know, when when the price of, of cannabis continues to drop, it becomes very important to make sure everything that you make generates the most possible margin for that particular good. And it's really important to know what mix and ultimately at what scale that you need to produce at. And right now that's, you know, more art than science in our industry. And that, that comes with the adoption of, you know, uh, traditional ERP systems that are, are still having challenge with entering our space because of how, how rigid they are and, and lack specificity. But ultimately that's where, where folks can, can really generate uh, more value than they are today with better and demand and supply modeling, just more sophistication and easier tools. Because I can imagine um, what we do at, at Cresco or, or a larger operator for supply and demand modeling is, is significant, significantly, excuse me, different than a, uh, a smaller or mid-tier operator who, who doesn't have the, the capacity or, or desire or need to be as sophisticated. And some tool that potentially serves that mid to small market with supply and demand modeling as to tighten up their inventory and obsolescence, I think would generate a lot of value and solve a lot of problems with, with folks' um, inventory positions and ability to produce the right thing that I know today is, is a real challenge. So that's something that I think could, could ultimately solve a lot of problem for operators. And Something that I also think is really exciting and we're starting to get benefit out of is this, you know, call it LMS slash incentive, incentivizing software, education software at the retail level. Um, think Seed Talent. They've had great traction here. And, and I know they're, they're actually local to Illinois, if I recall. Those platforms allow us to make sure our wellness advisors are well-educated on the products we sell. So from a, from a baseline consumer experience standpoint, we're really making sure our information is accurate and, and whole, but they also allow us to um, run contests, incentivize, measure, and do other things with our, our, our wellness advisor or bartender staff that otherwise wasn't possible for us. So that allows us to create training programs, re-engineer our SOPs, or just make reactions to that data that wasn't otherwise possible. So I think some of these engagement and learning platforms for, for the workforce are really in the, in the first couple innings and ultimately have, have some, some, some legs and some opportunity for folks. And, and those two areas have been 
really where we internally right now are trying to craft, you know, really interesting solves and solutions. And then the third one for me, given yesterday's news, as, as, as we record this of, of MasterCard um, and the pin debit space, you know, payments is always interesting. As, as all of us look to, you know, uh, fortify, if you will, and, and reduce the risk associated with taking payments at our, at our retail stores while, you know, being on par with our, our non-cannabis peers and making sure it's convenient and, and safe and, and, you know, sexy at the point of sale, it's important to continue to innovate there. So I think folks like AeroPay and other payment providers will continue to have opportunities to ship some payment products that allow us to not only de-risk our retail environment, but also innovate it, have, have uh, parity with the non-cannabis options that um, are also, right, of interest for our customers. So those three areas are really what I find most interesting right now, and I think have some you know, future opportunities here over the next couple of years. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the MasterCard news. Um, so I assume Visa is going to follow suit. So then you can't use a Visa or MasterCard debit card to complete your purchase. Um, a lot of people, and I, I want to say when I went to Sunnyside in, in Chicago, you guys use a pin debit system. Um, so how is that going to impact if you know, Visa, I assume, again, hopefully I'm wrong, but will come out and, and make a similar statement. Um, how does AeroPay or, or someone like them kind of work around this restriction from the two major credit card companies? Sure. Yeah. I, I don't want to speak for, for Dan and, and the team over at AeroPay in too much detail, but ultimately it's a different set of rails that are under a different set of compliance guidelines that allow you to compliantly achieve a, a, a uh, call it a, a transaction or, or a payment that's tied to your bank account and you connecting your bank account in a compliant fashion, as opposed to um, using a debit card in the fashion that they are saying isn't supported anymore. So it's, it's really a completely different mechanism that allows for a different compliance standard that gives us the, you know, the risk tolerance that, that we're comfortable with. And ultimately for us, a lot of the pin not a lot, all of the pin debit solutions lack e-com uh, infrastructure and API capabilities to ultimately extend the e-com experience to, to be you know, uh, payment performant, if you will. So you've seen platforms like Jane, I, I believe, and others, I think Dutchie has their own product in this space, uh, integrate or launch payment products so folks can, as a part of their you know, checkout experience, free auth or, or commit to paying through that mechanism that generates throughput at the store that generates a, a stickiness with the customer that we're ultimately looking for. And I think speaking for, for Daniel, he, he could give you, you know, the, obviously the, the great detail, but it's a different set of criteria because of, of the, uh, of the actual pipes, if you will, that the transaction is operating through. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and then I've used something similar. Uh, I think Hyper had a solution like that where, yeah, it, it routes directly from sort of your checking account. Uh, I've done it more so online where I've checked out, but I'm sure in store, given that you guys are, are using the same Sunnyside platform, um, you know, you can have that similar mechanism and, and you're not dependent on debit card processing. Yeah, exactly. I think it just becomes a 
incumbent upon us to create an experience of trust and, and education so folks adopt the new, un, you know, otherwise maybe a little bit scary payment mechanism, right? You want to make sure the customer feels really comfortable and, you know, ultimately connecting their bank account to purchase cannabis, you know, that has optics that need to be, you know, surrounded with education to make sure folks, you know, see the benefit in it. And, and for us, we, we've, we've ran a lot of uh, trials with about every payment product in the space. And I think we have a really distinct point of view. And ultimately, um, you know, with this type of integration, it allows you to move into other more interesting areas, um, like potentially uh, rebates, um, which AeroPay participates in, and as and giveaways, as well as actually uh, wallet storage, which is uh, really interesting as well. Something like, a, you know, a Starbucks wallet, which allows you to, you know, facilitate actual, you know, cash storage, if you will. Yeah, and, and that'd be great for operators. As, as we know, uh, Starbucks makes a, a lot in that arbitrage of letting customers store their cash on, on their loyalty and rewards programs. Absolutely. I think that's based on trust, right? Like I, I don't think anybody thinks twice about loading their Starbucks card from a security and, and brand trust perspective. So I think it's, it's really important as, as folks build payment products within our space where an anonymity is a concern and, 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 you know, it's just new, we have to be very thoughtful. I think there's some probably rocks that have, have not been overturned that are, are, are still pretty challenging in that space. So we look forward to just offering a payment option online at all. Today, we don't do that. And so we look forward to just, you know, being on, on, on par with, with some of our, our marketplace competitors there. Yeah, and and look, uh, I want to touch upon sort of the the bullet point that kind of caught a lot of people's attention in the most recent Q1 23 earnings, which is you surpass a billion in online retail sales, and that's solely through your e-commerce platform, Sunnyside.shop. Can you give us a bit more detail in, into sort of that number and and what that billion dollar cumulative? And I think you started the platform in in January 2020. Um, what that means? Sure. Yeah, I I think the um. It was Jan 2020. I was I was trying to think of the exact date in which we kind of kicked it off internally, and you know we had some fanfare and otherwise. But but ultimately, when legalization kicked off in uh, Illinois, it was it was a you know watershed moment for the business, and it's really um, was the calm before the storm with COVID, and so we were ultimately preparing for adult use, not knowing COVID was coming down the pipe, and at the time we were really focused on processing in, in, in person traffic because the lines associated with, you know, new legalization in Illinois were incredible. Um, and, and we have a couple uh, of primary stores within Illinois at the time. And, and it was, it was a really, um, you know, challenge to ultimately handle that amount of traffic. And we started to just morph towards some sort of e-com platform that can not only help us, uh, you know, facilitate digital traffic, but internal traffic. So um, at that time is really when we kicked off. And I think since then, we've, we've had a real focus on the in-store experience. So when you think about that number, I believe it doesn't even include the transactions that we uh, process within the, the same platform for walking customers within the store. 
And that's really what's unique about our platform is it drives, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the, the connectivity between the in-store customer and the online customer. So if Sally shops with us Tuesday online and Friday in-store, we Sally is Sally to us and, and we know who she is and um, can treat her appropriately from a, a compliance perspective, right? We, we know what her limit is in, in the case of a, a medical customer or in the case of a don't use customer, maybe her preferences and, and uh, specials and deals that may be applicable to her and, and ultimately bridge that gap with that same platform. So I think for us, that number, I think if I was, if I was betting is, is actually a little bit higher, maybe if we included our, our internal transactions as well that, that the platform accounts for. And um, something we're really pl- uh, proud of is it also accounts for our wholesale business. You know, we're, we're still, uh, I think right now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the country's biggest wholesaler and all of our, our wholesale business goes through our, our platform as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a serious amount of GMV, if you will, using that metric that, that goes to the platform. So our, our, uh, our, our stack is something that we feel very confident in from a enterprise grade perspective. And, you know, recently, and much like our peers, we're, we're getting into new regulatory territory from a, a SOX and a SOC one and two uh, perspective. So now we're under some, some new scrutiny, our technology is. So it's been interesting to, you know, go through these more traditional compliance and audit evaluations and, and make sure you know, all of our platforms meet those third-party uh, regulations as well. And I'm sure some of the, uh, you know, the Janes and the Dutchies of the world are going through that as well as they sell to customers, you know, who, who need to meet those requirements. Yeah, and I just want to go back to this point on the percentage that is e-commerce. So if, if you're saying the billion is understated, I did the quick math of all revenue in 2021, 2022, Q1, 2023, we're talking about a billion eight hundred fifty nine million. So a billion already is like a majority, uh, and that number being understated means you know, a very good majority is e commerce. That's surprising to me that it's so e commerce heavy for the cannabis consumers across the seven markets in which you operate. Um, you know, is that would you say that's like much higher than industry standard or? Am I kind of not understanding, you know, that majority of cannabis consumers today actually are e-com customers versus walk-in retail customers? Yeah, Day, I, th- I think we over-index. I think we uh, versus the industry, you know, baseline uh, have a much more online-centric customer base where we've built this platform that's so sticky in our view um, and commands a... a um, um, you know, an experience that we believe is um, better than than alternatives that allows us to drive a, a higher percentage um, from online customers. And, and, you know, things like loyalty within the app, things like um, better usability, um, accessibility, and, and otherwise th- through our application, we think we've, um, we've ultimately built this sweet spot where um, we just, ha- we index a little higher. You know, I, I think you're getting it right, but we just we just index a little higher. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. And then I don't know if this is a proper question for you uh, on that same point around, you know, 
customer acquisition, I'm going to assume because of everything we've talked about and how e-com is, is built for Cresco Labs is lower than your competitors. So that falls into the SGNA line. So I, I just did, again, a quick comparison between SGNA as a percentage of revenue for Cresco Labs versus let's call GTI your, your main competitor, right? Obviously there are others, but we're talking about that percentage, and again, that's not purely marketing, is 37.1 percentage uh, points. If we look at just Q1 for Cresco Labs, that number is 32.4% for GTI. And so it seems like, you know, if, if you've made up the difference, you have cheaper marketing costs than, you know, sales and, and some of the other GNA items are kind of what's inflating that percentage of revenue. Um, but I, I would assume you'd confidently say that your marketing uh, is more efficient because of this customer acquisition challenge that you have, correct? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And I think the, uh, you know, in, ter in terms of SGNA percentages, you know, we both derive, uh, all of us derive revenue from wholesale and retail. So like knowing those splits is really important when doing that equation, right? And, and making sure those comparisons are apples to apples. But in, in short, we believe, yes, our, our marketing engine that we have built um, is, is fine-tuned and to the extent that it has a, a, a real expectation of, of ROI that we can, that we, we know what it will be when we turn on certain programs and we're confident in, in what those programs will, will derive. And, and ultimately, I think what, what a key driver is, is our, our performance on conversion is, I think, uh, better without having the data than, than our peer set. Because one, one thing that I, I think is, is challenging is ultimately, if you took uh, 10 dispensaries, individual brands that all use a, a, the same e-com uh, third-party experience, I assume that those conversion percentages from a UX perspective, sans any you know, doorbuster promotion impacts are going to be really similar and their ability to influence performance there is very limited, very limited. We have at any point in time, multiple tests going on, multiple card experiences going on, multiple PDP experiences going on to ultimately drive a higher conversion rate that we believe is um, far and away superior than, than something that takes a, you know, everything to everyone approach. So that, that's where we think we really build some, some, some value. And is that conversion percentage of visitors who come to the site who then ultimately purchase or what? You got it. Okay, great. Yeah. That, yep. And, and then look, I, I assume, you know, you guys have so much data, you guys built a lot of your technology in-house. You guys have a very good idea of what marketing spend actually works. So help us understand you know, what, what marketing do you guys kind of, you know, budget for? Yeah, I think speaking for our really talented marketing team who, who are, who would be much more eloquent uh, in the, in these comments than I, I think for us, we, we tend to lean on platforms and, and, and agencies, if you will, and channels that ultimately derive a traditional feedback loop of, of performance, similar to, as if you ran a Facebook ad or a Google ad, the expectation and understanding of performance is very clear. And that allows you to react and, and increase or de decrease investment accordingly. And for us, that's, I think, um, a lot of our expectation with our marketing uh, 
is, is to be that measurable. And so for us, we, we use a lot of, you know, traditional um, technologies off shelf that are non-cannabis. When, when we talk about our, our MarTech stack, you know, uh, segment is one of our, you know, long-standing constituents in our, our tech stack. And I think um, it allowed us early on to build a, a understanding of the persona of our customers that um, we still utilize to this day. And it allows us to really be confident across those marketing channels that, you know, Sally is Sally and we know who Sally is um, and, and really tether that to the entire experience. So for us, we, we lean towards channels that drive a measurable outcome more than anything versus um, click, you know, just, you know, impression data or, or otherwise. And I, and I still feel, and, I, and I'm assuming many of the, you know, more experienced marketers in, in this space would say, we're still uh, behind the eight ball when it comes to non-cannabis platforms, just because of, you know, compliance inclusion um, and, and other baseline entry rules. So when those become available to us, SANS, you know, I guess Twitter is, is allowing us to play nowadays. I think we're going to see an, an, a, a new revolution, if you will, of marketing within the space that allows us to be, you know, on par with non-cannabis industries, which, which we're really excited about. I don't know when that is, but, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's definitely inevitable. Yeah. So just on that point, from a MarTech standpoint, are you guys using like Velo or Surfside then? I, I think we have done business with both of them. At some point, you know, today, I'm not sure if we're, we're utilizing both or one, but we utilize a, a number of different folks in the space to, to, you know, accurately market, even uh, on the wholesale side, you know, folks like Hoodie and Pistol, um, I think are relatively, you know, newcomers in terms of, you know, uh, the last couple of years, and they've created a, a layer of intelligence that's really interesting for, for us and other operators to tap into, you know, just understanding of our, our wholesale customer from a what's on the shelf, you know, propensity to buy and, and otherwise perspective. So those types of tools are, are, are really interesting. And um, I, I think there's an opportunity for us to, you know, continue to evolve our, our stack. And, and right now we, we kind of use who, who is, who is originally willing to play ball with us. And ultimately um, I think we've, we've, uh, our options have grown over the last couple of years. So we've had more of a, a selection criteria and been able to, you know, engineer something more specific. So that that's been nice as well. Got it. Thanks, Zach. This was great. I think you covered a lot of tech companies in the space that people are curious about. So it's nice to understand how Cresco Labs is using it and, and what you felt internally and what you still use from a third party standpoint. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. You know, we're, uh, we're looking forward to continuing to build and, making sure, uh, you know, at any point in time, our competitors from a, a technology standpoint don't, don't outpace us because it is a, it's a really cool time to be inside of cannabis tech. And I encourage, you know, anybody who's, who's listening to this, who's thinking about moving into cannabis tech to, to do so and to do so, you know, head first because the opportunities are still very, very much here.